0: For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up. The latest on the University of Arizona's response to student protests over armed, uniformed Border Patrol agents on campus. Meet two filmmakers who are part of this year's I Dream in Widescreen Student Film Showcase. How StoryCorps' new One Small Step initiative is helping strangers to find their common ground. And some of the staff at the Mission Garden share stories about kindness in our community. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. What started with three University of Arizona students being cited for disorderly conduct and disturbing the peace has turned into a national First Amendment conversation. The debate is over who has the greater right to free speech, the students disrupting a club meeting where Border Patrol agents were invited, or the agents who were trying to talk with the club. Nancy Montoya takes us back to the beginning of the controversy.
1: It started on March 19th. Murders
2: into campus where i pay to be here
1: one female u of a student started taking video on her cell phone of two border patrol agents the agents had been invited to speak on campus to a student criminal justice club
2: this is supposed to be a safe space for students but they allow an extension of the kkk into campus
1: Now for many immigrant students, staff, and even professors, the sight of border patrol on campus provokes a deep visceral reaction.
2: And you as a club should be more conscious of the rest of the students on this campus.
1: some believe border patrol agents are the foot soldiers of a very broken immigration system
2: This white woman calling the police white woman calling the police many
1: u of a immigrant students even those who are in the country legally have had parents or loved ones deported you think the uapd is gonna make me feel safe and some of those students are barely holding on to their DACA status. Those are individuals who were brought to the U.S. as children and are now facing the real possibility of being deported. The protesters say the stress of those fears are behind their anger. Murder patrol,
2: murder patrol. patrol.
1: As the women got louder, the U of A police showed up and tried to get the protesting student to back down. patrol,
2: murder patrol.
1: She didn't. Instead, she was joined by two other female students, and the chiding became louder.
2: Yeah, you're not welcome here.
1: Murder. The two Border Patrol agents decided to leave the classroom as they walked through campus and eventually to their vehicle. The women protesters trailed the agents with their taunts until the agents got in an unmarked vehicle and drove off campus. At the time, U of A police didn't even get the names of the three students. They thought the incident was over, but then the video of the incident showed up on social media. It was pushed by two very different agendas, one siding with border patrol, and the other with the student's right to free speech.
3: I am the vice president of the National Border Patrol Council.
1: Art Del Cueto president, is the VP of the National Border Patrol Union Tucson, and lives out, in Tucson. Getting, getting in On his podcast, he doing. said he would hey, not you know, have been as like calm that. as the two agents who out. just walked away.
3: Yeah. I'm telling you right now, I'm not gonna <laughs> stay there and let you belittle me and berate me. And and chances are, if I'm there and I'm seeing another agent get berated, I'm gonna go over there and knock you out then too. <laughs>
1: Almost done. Instead of advocating violence, hundreds of university faculty, staff and students took a silent protest to the U of A president, Robert Robbins. With mouths taped shut and marching single file, they held up signs asking for two things, that border patrol be banned from campus and that the charges be dropped against the students. Charles is a grad student and a PhD candidate at the university. As he walked quietly, he explained his support, not just for the students, but also for free speech and the First Amendment.
3: I just I think it's, it's not fair, the, the, the charges the, uh, for the students. Uh, we're just protesting that it's, it's not fair. Uh, they, they should have the freedom to say whatever they want.
2: Now,
1: caught in the middle is the U of A president, Robert Robbins. Del Cueto, the Border Patrol Union representative, says Robbins needs to apologize publicly to the two Border Patrol agents.
3: President of the U of A needs to do a formal apology.
1: And President Robbins is also feeling the heat from the students who confronted him at an Arizona Board of Regents meeting.
4: Hello, my name is Mira Patel. This statement is addressed to President Robbins, the Regents, and the University of Arizona.
1: Again, protesters sat quietly with mouths taped shut.
2: Right now, as a DACA recipient on this campus, I feel overlooked and silent in every way. President Robbins, it is unacceptable for you to not even reach out to us DACA recipients after all the events that occurred.
1: Fred Duvall is one of the regents who listened to the students He says President Robbins takes the students seriously but cannot allow them to intimidate and step on the freedom of speech and First Amendment rights of others on campus.
5: He's a very, very good guy. The board uh, totally has his back. Um, That's not to say that that we didn't hear the message yesterday uh, and the message that's been coming, obviously, for a number of weeks. Uh, These are very important issues that need to be discussed.
1: And to make sure the issues of free speech would not be lost once the controversy dies down, the vice president for student government, Matthew Rain, shared a letter he received after student government sided with their fellow students.
3: One message from an individual named Amanda W. stood out to me among them, I'd like to read it. She said, and I quote, I'm absolutely mortified that you are the future of my country. And I will be a great parent if I raise my son to not be like you when he grows up. Well, Amanda, I'm sorry to break it to you, but we are the future of this country. Our students are the future of this country. Our DACA and undocumented communities are the future of this country. Our marginalized populations all across the United States are the future of this country and to the board and to the legislature and anyone who cares to pay attention, we will be coming to claim our future, and I hope all of you will stand by us when we do. And as always,
1: bear down. Thank you. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Nancy Montoya.
0: On Tuesday, April 23rd, from 9 to 11 a.m., University President Robert C. Robbins will host the first in a series of campus conversations about this subject. These discussions will be open to all U of A students, staff, and faculty. Every spring, the University of Arizona School of Theater, Film, and Television presents a short film showcase at the Fox Tucson Theater called I Dream in Widescreen. It's a chance for an audience to see some of the best and brightest creations by students in the UA Bachelor of Fine Arts program. Their films are competing for awards and cash prizes in nine categories. And after the Tucson screening, these productions will be shown at film festivals around the world. Next, Tony Perkins talks with two of these student filmmakers about creating movie magic. Artificial
5: incompetence is UFA filmmaker Alex Giles comedy about an art student who's forced to confront modern technology's darker side.
3: I see videos on like Twitter and stuff all the time about you know, the latest technological advancements from like Boston Dynamics and stuff of like robots opening doors or doing backflips or picking up crates and stuff. And obviously people's initial reactions to it are, this is scary and we're all going to die. Alex created a robotic house cleaning character that seems
5: harmless at first. It communicates and beeps and whistles.
6: You work too hard, buddy.
4: I'll tell them not to leave such a big mess next time. How about that?
5: Alex admits making the film's focal character come to life
3: wasn't easy. He's entirely made out of 3D printing material because obviously we would like print out his head or his chest or his leg and it would just be deformed and not turn out the way it was so we have to like reprint it again. I think we probably went through hundreds of dollars of 3D plastic orange bit material. Alexandra Rickerts wrote and directed a drama called Waiting for Vienna.
5: It tells the story about a grieving father who reluctantly confronts a personal tragedy while going camping with a friend. The script is based on a short story that Alexandra's own father wrote.
4: It's not a personal story to him, but it's just something that I think he had a bad dream about and wrote it down, and I really liked it, so I took it and made it my own.
5: Alexandra staged pivotal scenes of Waiting for Vienna, outdoors, at night. Nick, I didn't even want to be here. Why are you doing this?
6: Why are you acting like this is my fault? I wanted you to come because you have to get out of that house.
5: Her crew shot those scenes at the top of Mount Lemmon in the snow.
0: I don't need help. You won't even talk about it. I want to go home.
4: The roads were thick with like probably an inch of ice. Uh, So we were forced to call it quits that day. Went back down the mountain with no footage from, you know, this whole... Production day, you know, we lost a whole bunch of money on it because we've rented equipment and we're paying people like I'm paying a few of my talent, so it's, it was tough.
5: The filmmakers say sustaining themselves through the hours of writing, shooting, and editing was something they won't forget anytime soon. In fact, their real-life stories of creative hardship could make good movies in their own right.
4: We had a generator up there and the generator failed so many times and you know we need a generator to produce light when it's pitch black and there's no other lights around us so that was an issue in itself but i I wouldn't have changed it for the world i absolutely wouldn't have i learned so much from this project
3: i was actually up on the mountain the same day as her in january yeah and i just saw like her camera guy and her producer just like walking around aimlessly at like the ski lodge Mm -hmm. I was like, what are they doing here? It's way too cold up here. Yeah. And apparently you guys are even higher than that.
5: And the students expect their paths to cross again in the real world of creative arts.
3: I think I'm gonna be competing on a lot of the same jobs as Allie. <laughs> uh, I kind of remember that when we were mm-hmm. trying to find internships last summer. Me and her were like competing for like this same exact internship. We were
4: actually competing head to head for the same internship yeah. last year. Yeah, I remember that. And she
3: usually wins. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's 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 okay. Um, U of A so students yeah, I, I taking their
5: talents the from the ground up the in professional filmmaking for Arizona
0: Spotlight. I'm Tony Perkins. The 2019 I Dream in Widescreen event will be presented at the Fox Tucson Theater on April 27th at 7 p.m. Regular NPR listeners have most likely heard StoryCorps before. The nonprofit organization, headquartered in Brooklyn, New York, has archived more than 60,000 recordings in the Library of Congress since it began in 2003. So far, one thing that every StoryCorps session has in common is is that they're between people who know and care about each other. But StoryCorps latest initiative called One Small Step is different. It's a chance for people who have never met to come together and share their personal experiences and how those experiences have shaped their views on social and political issues. It's an attempt to find common ground and raise awareness of our similarities rather than our differences. NPR 89.1 is one of six stations across the country that has been chosen to participate and invite people here to have their words recorded for future generations. There's a survey online right now at azpm.org that can get you started if you'd like to take part. Here is a sample from the first One Small Step recording made in the AZPM radio studio between 30-year-old Chase and 22-year-old Holly. Full disclosure, they actually already know each other. They're co-workers. And since the 2016 presidential election, they've been making an effort to better understand how they differ on the political spectrum.
6: Hi, Holly.
7: Hi, Chase.
6: (laughs) Hopefully our mics are working. You want to go first?
7: Uh, Sure. My name is Holly Halstead. I'm 22 years old. This is Tucson, Arizona. And my relationship to my partner is he is my friend.
6: I'm Chase Lang, I'm 30 and uh, Holly Halsta is my friend.
7: Who has been the most important or influential person in your life and what did they teach you?
6: I think my mom will be mad if I don't say my mom. (laughs) Uh, And I think she's up there, but I was thinking about this just the other day and I was thinking about how music has really shaped how I see the world and it's pretty cool. I don't know if there's one single one, but there's a band called Rx Bandits. And I th- I think when I heard them for the first time, it was, it just changed my mind. It changed the way I thought about how a lot of things um, politically, um, how war is fought and how um, women are treated and all of these different things that as a 12-year-old boy or whatever it was, like um i didn't really give much thought to and i think for a long time 15 years or something that i've been listening to them and a bunch of other bands i i just think like wow like those are the guys that have and and women that have changed my view of the world and i'm so thankful that they existed and that they you know were putting out that the kind of stuff that nobody else was saying that agreed with like my philosophy what about you
7: (laughs) No, I agree. I think it's really hard to pick one person because there are so many people and, you know, bands or pieces of literature that influence you and shape you as a person. But if I had to pick one, I think I would pick my grandma. She took care of me while my parents worked when I was little before, you know, I went to school. Um, And she was a really tough lady. You know, she grew up really, really poor in the South. Um, and she taught me a lot about having my own opinions and standing up for myself. And she was very much a you know pick yourself up by your bootstraps and do what you need to do kind of person. And I think that really shaped a lot of who I am today and how I see the world.
6: What'd she do? Can I ask?
7: Um, she did all kinds of things, but her main source of income was she was a waitress. When she was little, she grew up like picking cotton in Arkansas, like rural Arkansas. Um, She's very, very poor, was born in 1917, lived a very tough life, but she never gave up and always did whatever she needed to do to get by. She had six kids, you know, was a single mom for a long time. So she taught me a lot about, you know, getting it done, standing up for herself.
6: For me, it's like, I want to say, of course, like my grandparents, my family are like, super inspirational to me and they formed a lot of the way that you know the way I think and uh, you know for me I like <laughs> I'm the liberal in this conversation you're kind of the I won't say a label but maybe the one that's uh you can label me yeah, it's okay. yeah well I'll say can I say you're the conservative yeah. right okay so you know my grandparents were like super conservative and uh and it's not that they didn't inspire me but like that was them you know and I'm different and so that's the way it works and, and there's nothing there's nothing like bad with that. I, I just don't look up to him for my politics. I look up to him for like all of the great times we had and the cooking, you know. But I you know, I'm a huge Bernie Sanders fan and I just remember like I remember this one time sitting at home with my grandfather and at his house, they lived right across the street from us in Baltimore. Um and so I was like sitting at the kitchen table and he had this old Sony tv it was one of the ones with the dials where it makes the clicking noise where when you change the channel and he was watching I don't know some program and Bernie Sanders came on and I just remember him under his breath and saying some saying some things about you know whatever socialism or something that um and I didn't know at the time I was probably 10 years old but I, I definitely remember like those moments and uh still love my grandfather you know no, no different there but yeah of course. Um, but in terms of, like, influencing me, maybe it maybe it influenced me to think differently or something.
7: It's really interesting how the people that surround you when you grow up or the music, how they play a role in shaping you as a person.
6: All right. So can I read this one? Please. What's your earliest memory about politics and can you tell a story about it?
7: My earliest memory of politics is the 2000 election. I was really little, so I was born in 1996, so my memories of the 2000 election are pretty vague, and the grown-ups in my life were kind of, you know, everybody was kind of confused, and people didn't know who was going to be the next president for a while. I remember really clearly going with my parents, waiting in line with them to vote in the 2000 election. You know, they explained to me how important it was to exercise the right to vote and how lucky we were to live in a country where we had the privilege of voting and getting a say in who we wanted our elected officials to be.
6: Yeah, that one was interesting. <laughs> yeah. I remember that.
7: <laughs> what about you?
6: I, I remember being interested in politics at that time. And and, and I should say, you, you know, I grew up, my mom was an amazing individual. She raised me and she didn't want to push anything on me but she was like so happy when when i did the things that that she was interested in too and um i I mean i remember that election like all right we're just gonna wait and find out and then when the president was finally selected by the supreme court it was like everybody was unhappy in my circles it was like you know it's like I don't know if that's my earliest memory of politics. I I think probably like when my mom would go vote and we would stand in these lines outside of Rogers Forge Elementary School and in Towson, Maryland. And there'd be a desk, uh, they'd check in and they would be very wary of me standing in the poll booth like as i you know as like some five-year-old would have some kind of influence over (laughs) (laughs) you know 10 year old or something but um i would also have to like wait right outside they never let me go in and those are the memories that i have of like at least voting and those things um what was the first time you really hated something that you saw in politics not just experienced it through your parents
7: well so actually i was more of the one that got my parents involved in politics not the other way around i was always the little kid you know running around with like um a deck of president flashcards, and like i had this book uh, about all the presidents and like it was just absolutely torn to shreds i read it over and over i brought it everywhere with me i was always a little kid running around spouting off facts about all the presidents like i annoyed my parents to no end i'm sure (laughs) And I wanted to be the president for so long and I know I would always ask them like who are you voting for do you know who you're voting for and they be like yeah you're yeah, okay like you know that's cute I remember really vividly the commercials the campaign ads for the 2004 election and I was like mom and dad why are they so mean to each other <laughs> and they kind of explained you know how it all works and cause to me you know presidents were these really nice cool guys from my books and my flashcards that were doing all these really incredible things and that was kind of the first time that I got this rude awakening and like oh politics is actually kind of nasty sometimes it's not all cordial and nice like there's some teeth to this
6: it's usually man's voice and it's like (laughs) kind of kind of deeper and it's like do you know what so-and-so has <laughs> done and we're like you know it's like where did this come from like you guys don't talk like this when you're just wearing the blazers and in, in Washington or wherever it is it's like this very weird thing that happens and <laughs> to like vilify each other because of our I, I you know it, it I feel like now if you're trying to run for president if you've done one wrong thing in your life like
4: it's
7: all over you know
6: like you're not going to be elected president now you you still have a shot though Like, you can put your hat in there. Everybody's doing it this week. (laughs) Um.
0: (laughs) Thanks to Holly Halstead and Chase Lang, who are our first participants in One Small Step, a program designed by StoryCorps. If you're interested in having a conversation with someone new about your experiences and how they've shaped your values, visit azpm.org and complete the One Small Step survey to get started. An afternoon event focused on self-care and building new social connections occurred last month at the Tucson Mission Garden, sponsored by the Southern Arizona branch of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. I went there to ask some of the garden staff about acts of kindness, large and small, starting with Katja Peterson.
2: A garden is a growing, changing place where we learn, we forget, we relearn, we make mistakes. And I love it that we're allowed to make mistakes. That's an act, a big act of kindness. There is a man who started helping us. Here in the Asequia. he's the one who was carving and he made the canoa and he did cement work and suddenly one day he died. And one of the most amazing acts of kindness all of his friends came and they all finished his work for him. That's huge. That's really huge. They all stepped in, and one of those guys, that's what they put his initials, RW, right there. It was pretty amazing. That what was all. his name? His name was Ron White. And everybody has to come and see what this represents because it is a place of living and dying and growing and making mistakes and recovering.
8: My name is Mario and I am a student intern um, here at Mission Garden. I'm currently studying landscape architecture at the university and get to work here
0: part time. Some people might say kindness is on the endangered list these mm-hmm. days. Okay. Can you tell us about something you've seen that would prove otherwise? Sure, I was
8: at Time Market here on university and someone was outside, you know, asking for a couple bucks, asking for something for food. And I witnessed a gentleman coming in, asked if they could just buy them lunch. And instead of walking in and buying something and bringing out, invited the person in. Bought them some pizza and they they ended up sitting together. So I I grabbed a quick lunch and kind of got to witness the whole thing. And then it was just this very nice little interaction where I think, you know, they spent 15 minutes together. Person that seems like they were in a little rough spot to begin with, walked out a lot happier and everyone should do that a little more often. Take take a second and yeah, take it one step further.
2: My name is Dina Cowan, I'm garden supervisor. Oh, there's so many acts of kindness. On a daily basis, we share food and produce with each other. Escaxita Refugee Network comes and we, we share with them. There's a lot of sharing of food, of knowledge, of expertise, volunteers. I mean, we would not be able to, to do this without our volunteers who come here. This garden is an act of kindness.
0: <laughs> Those were members of the staff at the Mission Garden on a Saturday afternoon, a day of wellness sponsored by NAMI of Southern Arizona. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can find our podcasts on iTunes and through the phone app NPR One. The show originates from the AZPM radio studios. AZPM's news director is Andrea Kelly. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore.